Romans 5, verses 18 to 21, and it is on page 860 in your Bibles. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This St Andrews is God's word. So in the, in the actual, this passage in the NIV version, there's this cryptic verse. And Paul sometimes has these really cryptic statements that just make my head spin. And that's what we're going to look in today. And so the, the cryptic verse is this. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase. This is the NIV version. Uh, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And in the uh, NLT, it's God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. We're going to have a look. How on earth could God bringing the law increase trespasses? And that God brought the law to increase trespasses. How on earth does that work? What is Paul getting on about? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come to look at your word this morning, we pray before we look at it because we recognize that what we are wanting is not a TED talk, not a motivational speech, not a religious act. We're wanting a miracle to take place. Every Sunday, no matter who is speaking, we want a miracle of grace, not just in this church, but in every church on this planet or home group, underground church on this planet where the gospel is proclaimed. We want your spirit and your word to come together and pierce our hearts that are often full of apathy, distractions, hurts, other concerns, temptations. We want to hear from you this morning. Lord, you know I was crying out that, Lord, you would speak every Sunday. And so, Lord, we pray, change and soften our hearts that we might hear what you want to say this morning. So if you are uh, tuning in uh, via YouTube or podcast, welcome. I said it at the first service and said, welcome everyone here. It's good to have you joining us. Again, it's probably no one on podcast. And then my mum, I picked up the end of the service. I'm watching, said my mum, warmed my heart. Mum was watching me on podcast. It really did. It was like, oh, that's so nice. Uh, because you're just looking at the camera, you've got no idea who's tuning in. But I know there's all these random people around the world from America and elsewhere tuning in. If you're wanting, I just think it's cool. Someone from America wants to tune into a little village in Geraldine. Welcome if you're doing that anywhere you are in the world or Americas, there's some Brazil and all over the place who want to come to Geraldine on a Sunday morning. So we're carrying on with our series on Romans. And last week we had a look at this whole gig of the first Adam and second Adam. We looked at how Paul contrasted the effects of Adam's sin and Christ's obedience. And I gave that lame as example of the two cars that I had, Milne's racing car that got to drive for a weekend in the old car. Do you guys remember? Right? And I contrasted it. 
And I want to just as a refresher, because weeks like the whole stuff can just go out of a person's mind, is that the first and second Adam, it's all interconnected, the Old Testament and New Testament. And right through the entire Bible, you get to see the connections of the first Adam and Jesus Christ, the last Adam, as Paul describes him. And here's just a few. The first Adam was, was a man, this is repeated from last week, was a man who sought to become like God. The last Adam was God Almighty who humbled himself and became a man. The first Adam yielded to temptation in a garden. The last Adam sweated blood to defeat temptation in a garden. The first Adam ate and a covenant with God was broken. The last Adam broke bread and ate and a covenant was established. The first Adam was naked and received clothes. The last Adam had clothes but was stripped naked. The first Adam tasted death from a tree. The last Adam tasted death on a tree. The first Adam hid his face from the face of God. The last Adam begged God his father not to hide his face. The first Adam blamed his bride for his own sin. The last Adam took the blame and guilt for his bride, the church. The first Adam brought thorns and thistles on this earth. The last Adam wore thorns and thistles on his head. The first Adam brought a curse. The last Adam became a curse that we could walk in his blessing. The first Adam was born immortal but ended up dying. The last Adam became mortal and rose to life immortal on the third day because death could not hold the Son of God down. All throughout the Bible, we see the connections of this first Adam and Jesus Christ, what Paul calls the second Adam. And then Paul sums up this whole connection. That is why it's important to hold the whole Bible, the Genesis account, all the way through to Revelation as the Word of God because it all does interconnect. And Paul sums this up, this contrast between Adam and Jesus. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So we cover this whole contrast of the two Adams. We're now moving on into the second thing here, which is the word I'm just going to hone in on this morning. The NLT's version, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. And the NIV, which is a little more obscure, it's a bit more cryptic, but actually it's a bit more accurate to the Greek, says this. The law was brought in so that trespasses might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. What are you saying, Paul? What? How does that work? Why would you say that God's law, which, which God created was brought in and actually sin increased because of God's law coming along. I mean, Saul, right before he was Paul, before he had his Damascus Road encounter, he was a Jew of Jews, Pharisees. He loved the law. He was marinated in it. He knew that God himself had revealed this law, the Mosaic law and everything else, to Moses on that mountain. He knew that the prophets, that God had revealed all of this to him. So how could he possibly say that this revealed law from God, which is good and perfect, increases trespasses? How on earth has he made that connection? And so I want to, that's what we're going to hone in this morning. And I want to suggest to you, and this is the key thing, I'm realizing how, you know, how limited, you know, quickly I forget stuff. And quickly say, so what was that so-and-so saying two weeks ago? And I was like, darn it, I have to go back to the passage. 
is this is the point, that if the law is given without a heart change, it will actually increase your guilt. And that's what we're going to hone in this morning. So how in earth is the law brought in that trespass might increase? What is Paul getting at? Well, first picture, a parent telling a teenager to come home from a party by a certain time. So if it was my children, I'd be saying, right, Johnny, uh, I want you home from your party by 7 o'clock. And you're only drinking water while you're out there. Perhaps some of you are waging, but say 8 o'clock, all right? And so just imagine, they, they give them that boundary. And there does Johnny or Sally goes to the party and they see something terrible like their sugar drinks or worse out there. And they're looking at that time. What are they going to want to do with those boundaries? The very thing that you have said is the forbidden fruit, what often happens? Now, who's had this? I can remember in my life, as soon as someone's told me, now, Alistair, don't go to that place. Don't do that. What is the instant temptation that comes into my heart and mind? Oh, I want to do it. <laughs> you I, I, mean, I said to the first service, hands up. And there was a few, and I said, well, you guys are either really good or lying, you know, because all of us have had that experience of the forbidden fruit. And so sometimes you get to see this, this whole thing actually in legalistic religious families. You know, they're legalistic religious families. They create all these boundaries and rules and pressure, and it actually ends up just creating either hypocrisy or it creates legalism, or the people, they're living under this whole boundaries, all these religious rules and laws, and as soon as they break free, what do they want to do? Wild time. Party, here we come. And so you get to see that dynamic. Laws given without a heart change by the Spirit either can raise up externally obedient people, but are actually legalistic and toxic or rebellion, but it actually ends up with trespasses increasing. Right, so that's one element of that. Right? Without a spirit-given heart change, the law will just increase the guilt and sin. Secondly, the law can give a false hope that if you read these laws, you go, oh, okay, so this is what I just have to do. I've got the Mosaic law. I've read it. I've just got to obey all of it. Right, right. Today, I've got 373 things I've got to do on this list. I've got to do it perfectly. Right, you just get to it. And you believe in your mind that by your own strength, you can obey all those laws. And if that is the case, you are making a righteousness separate from the cross and Jesus Christ. And may I suggest, on Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so for all these people, the law became, well, we just do these good things, these religious good things, and become good religious people. And if we do this in our own strength, we will make it. If you have that heart attitude, it's going to increase your guilt. The law cannot save you. And the jail was proven with the Jewish people. It either creates pride, we think we're smashing it out of the park, or anxiety, we know in the depths of our hearts we are not making it, and that we're screw-ups and failures. I had that. Come to church feeling twice as condemned when I left than when I arrived, knowing that I was failing those laws in my mind and heart, at least, because the law could not save me. It just doubled my sense of guilt. And that's what Paul was getting at. But thirdly, the law without a spirit-given change increases sin. There's a third element to this. That when God's law was revealed to Moses, it made those who heard it doubly guilty. So increasing their sin. Now, how did that happen? So I've got an example. Last week, I talked about the two cars. You guys ready for another car analogy? Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, this one. Thank you, Ben. The things I inflict on the poor St. Andrew's congregation. So I'm going to go back to the story, and I'm going to turn it to, about the, I'm going to, turn it to Israel, because this is what Paul's getting at, about the law given to the Israel and the Israelites. And I'm going to turn it about road rules, and I'm going to turn it to the story a little bit on what happened on Earl Road. So you guys know that on Earl Road, I didn't stop at the stop sign, right? This was about a year ago. 
And then Constable David was behind me and they're flashing lights. I was like, oh no, I can't even pulled over. Oh please, Jesus, might not be one of the local Geraldine constables, just a random because your ticket will be great. Oh no, it's Constable David. Ah, then the whole, the whole my face red, white, and things like this, and I was just dying. And then I wind up the windows and he goes, hello, Father Alistair. Is that the title for a Presbyterian minister? Well, you can call me Father if you wish. Um, and then, you know, the warning and that was all. I felt so bad. And I was driving very obediently for the wrestling. So just imagine this, this analogy. Right. So if, if there was a society where no road rules were given, so New Zealand or another side, all the road rules would just disappear. There was no road rules. At some level, you would know in your heart that driving on the main road of Geraldine at past the Geraldine Primary School at 120 at 3 o'clock on a school afternoon when kids are crossing the road, you would know driving at 120 zoom past would not be a good thing to do, even if there was no road rules. Is that fair to say? Because you're endangering the kids. And God had placed some sense of moral right and wrong in everyone's heart. They get that, right? But for the Israelites, they had the great constable Moses, who ascended up the mountain and he received the divine road code from God himself. And then he came down with all the little rules about how to run the society and have all those rules. Are you with me? Right? It's an analogy. And then he had lots of little constables who went out. And so when an Israelite like me broke the law, the little prophet or constable would come and say, would give warnings. Do not do this. Are you with me? This is right through the Old Testament. And so this was the Israelites. They were given this road code. They were given this moral code. So what did Israel do with that? Well, I tell you, they didn't want to obey it. They wanted Fast and Furious or Mad Max out there on the roads. Have you, have you read the Old Testament? Isn't that the case? We don't want this road code. And out the door, and they did not want the constables. And so what ended up happening was that the warnings and the road code made them doubly guilty. Just as if... I get caught that's not stopping at the stop sign on Earl Road and Constable David and God's sovereignty just happens to be behind me with the flashing lights. I've had the warning. I know the moral code. I am doubly guilty if I break the law. Does that make sense? And the Jewish people were doubly guilty because getting the road code or the Mosaic law without a heart change just increases your guilt. Are you with me? And so there, and this is what the key, key thing of the gospel and so may I suggest that what there is a whole bunch of, of heart, I guess, uh, applications for us today. And I want to suggest that there's a few. So one for me, uh, and then I've got, just got, I'll get at the end. But as a minister, uh, this is one of the things I've noticed. Over the last uh, 10 years, I've been in the Presbyterian Church, there's more and more regulations, more and more hoops that I have to jump through every year to remain a minister in good standing. I've got to attend ethics courses. I have to uh, have a supervisor meetings. There's a whole heap of things, and the regulations are getting more and more onerous. So why are they creating all these things? Well, I was talking to the ethics. It's because ministers are going off the rails and doing bad stuff. Lord, save me from such a fate. Uh, and so they're doing these bad things. They're like, right, we'll get an ethics class. We'll get all these ministers. We'll zoom in. These are the things to be a good minister. Do these things right. <sighs> Problem solved. And this minister said, we're doing these ethics courses, but there's still the same number of ministers screwing up. Why? Getting the law without a heart change just doubles the minister's guilt. What is needed is a revival in the heart and repentant hearts. Lord, may I have that. Walk in humility before the Lord. 
Secondly, you could think of perhaps, husband, I'm just giving examples here, husband and wife. We've run, we've run the marriage alpha course back in the day, run it a few times. And imagine people just come along to that. They hear what is required to have a good marriage, right? They go there, they hear the things, they hear the stories. This is what you have to do to, to, to learn to do forgiveness and repentance and uh, good communication things and good areas in physical intimacy. And all those different things are covered in the paper. Now, the person goes there, they've heard it all. Mario suggests that without a spirit-given heart change, it just makes them doubly guilty as well. What is required is that for God to change the heart. Or perhaps there's parents here or grandparents here, and you're thinking of your children or grandchildren. You can often find that one of the temptations is to put all these rules that are in place Thinking by it will keep our children safe. What, you're, what is really needed is to cry out to God to change a children's heart. And so I'm plucking these figures out of the air. 99% of our time as Christian parents should be loving our children, modeling Christ's likeness to them, fervently praying that they would love the, the word of God, they would love Christ, and that the heart would be warmed to truth, and that we would model this in the life and 1% of the time explaining the rules and telling them don't do it in consequences. This is key. Now, the 1%, by the way, is important. Don't leave the 1% out. We don't want Mad Max out there on the roads or in Sunday school and firecrackers. <laughs> explaining the rules is important. But without the rules, without a heart change, just increases the guilt. Are you with me? We need the Lord. And so when I suggest to you this morning, where are you at this morning? Is there any ill roads that in your life... We have heard the warning, you know the rules, but you're not stopping at the stop sign. You're increasing your guilt this morning. This is a chance to search your heart. I have to search mine. And lastly, I want to suggest this, and this is one of the great things about the passage, that Paul then goes on to say that where sin abounds, grace abounds more. What was he saying? That you increase sin, you increase grace? Well, part of that answer is next week. Jason's going to get to this for us not to increase sinning. But this is what Paul was getting at. When Israel rebelled against God and they did all this terrible stuff, the temple was destroyed and it was really horrible. In response to that, most of the Old Testament was written. Most of the Bible that we have today was in response to the rebellion of Israel. Their sin wrote the Bible, which is a blessing to everyone in the world. Or Jesus Christ. It was, he was betrayed by the Pharisees. He was betrayed by the Roman authorities with the farce of a trial. Their sin put Jesus Christ on the cross, but him going to the cross paid for my sins and I have eternal life. Grace has abounded through the work of Christ, even though sin happened. Grace so much more. Paul gives another example. It doesn't really work for us Gentiles, but he says this, that the temporal partial hardening of the Israelites has brought the gospel in for the rest of the world and that all of us are blessed by the Israelites' sin. Sin abounded, but grace abounds more. There's lots of examples and so one of the great hopes in my life is I reflect on my failures as a husband, a father, a minister, a son, and a brother, and all the different relationships, and as a friend. As I look back at my past failures to abide by the law, I've actually realized that God's grace has abounded more, and every failure he's used for his glory. And that gives me hope, actually, that in some things that I've really mucked up that yet haven't been fixed, God's grace is going to abound more. But what is required for me is a heart change. Because the law given, hearing these sermons Sunday after Sunday, 
without a heart change, doubles your guilt and mine. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, in a moment, there's going to be an opportunity for anyone that wants to come forward to be prayed for, for repentance or perhaps anything else in their life. And Lord, we do pray that you would work something in our hearts where we would love you with all of our heart, mind and soul. And we would truly love those around us. Oh Lord, Holy Spirit, change us, we pray. Move in us, we ask, that we would love to keep your laws because you have moved it upon our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.